My guest on this week's episode of Susan Search is Tom Critchlow, freelance strategy consultant and founder of SEO MBA. I've been generally aware of Tom for many years now, dating back to his time at Distilled. After launching the Distilled office in New York, Tom worked at Google for a couple of years. And then for the past eight years, he's been an independent consultant working with some of the most iconic brands in the world. Tom blogs often on his personal website, tomcritchlow.com. I highly recommend you check it out. His writing is smart, silly, but more personally revealing and honest than the typical blog posts in our industry. I'm going to start our conversation asking him about a recent post he wrote titled Eight Years on the Road. Roughly eight years before this broadcast, Tom set out on a journey as an indie consultant. Each year, he writes a reflection on the prior year, both personally and professionally. The one thing that's clear is that Tom is fond of life as an independent consultant. He enjoys the lifestyle and the freedom it provides. What's really interesting is that after eight years, he genuinely still enjoys the work. We're also going to talk about SEO MBA, an online training course for ambitious SEOs. The two courses, Executive Presence and the Art of Client Management, help SEOs looking to get into the highest levels of client work or get a seat at the table with the C-suite. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Tom Critchlow. We'll talk about how the majority of his work is now P&L first. We'll spend a little time chatting about the advice he'd give people beginning an independent consulting career. Hint, he's written the blog post. And I'll finish our conversation talking about a curated art collective he started called Fiercely Curious. All right, Tom Critchlow, welcome to Susan Search. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I read a, a blog post of yours, and I want to recommend to anyone watching that they check this out. It's called Eight Years on the Road. As I understand it, this is a blog post you write every year around the time of the anniversary of you working for someone. That's true. Uh, of yep. you stopping working. So I, I love this idea generally um, of an indiversity, an I guess is an indiversity. But I, the writing is really excellent too. I, 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 you're really transparent. You mentioned some work that you're really proud of, but you also mentioned some work that didn't go as well as you wanted. Um, you know, just talk to the audience about your anniversary and how these posts have evolved over eight years of writing them. It's got to be some interesting takeaways. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, firstly, thanks. Um, I've been doing it for eight years, so I guess I have a little practice. Um, <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that I've appreciated most about my independent journey of working for myself is finding a community and network of other people like me, other independent consultants, mm -hmm. freelancers, um, business owners, and so on. Um, and the thing that I think is most useful is trying to pass that forward a little bit and show people who are thinking about going indie or just started going indie, um, just really opening the kimono a little bit and being like, this is how it works. These are the pros. These are the cons. This is what I'm feeling good about. This is what I'm not feeling good about because um, everyone's journey is different. Right. So, I'm, you know, and I do a lot of writing about um, how to be an independent consultant, like how to kind of carve your own path and how to do freelance consulting in particular. And I always try and avoid the kind of prescriptive language. Like you should do this way. Right. I'm, it's less about me telling you how to do it and more about opening up possibilities to say maybe you could consider these options. Right. And, and specifically trying to uh, kind of zig where everyone else is zags. There's a lot of writing out there about freelancing and consulting that. We'll try and force you into a box. It'll say you must do it this way. You must, uh, you know, charge for value. Don't charge for time. And you must, uh, you know, have a strong positioning and like a super tight website and blah 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 blah. And I try and kind of push the other way and say actually, 
you should be weird and you should do what feels good for you. And you have to build a consulting model that actually adapts to your own strengths. Um, so uh, that's kind of what I'm trying to help others see by opening the kimono is to say, this is everything about how my practice works. Uh, maybe that's useful to you. Maybe you can get some inspiration or maybe you can get some ideas about how you might want to build uh, something that works for you. Well, it's interesting because you you had some pretty incredible regular jobs before you went the independent route. You worked with your brother at Distilled, at Google. It's it's eight years as an indie consultant. Like what one of the things I notice when I'm reading this is it seems like you just like this lifestyle. You find it interesting. You like this life that you you've led. You talk about the freedom of it, but also there's a loneliness component of it. Uh, did I read into that correctly? Do you like this lifestyle as an indie, indie consultant? And what about it agrees with you? Uh, I love it. Um... <laughs> I, th I think the freedom is really the the, the biggest selling point. Um, you know, the ability to carve out my own time, my own schedule. Um, you know, I'm European. I grew, I grew up in the UK. Um, so taking like long vacations <laughs> is nice. Um, something that the US uh, employment system doesn't always let you do. Um, and so, yeah, kind of really you know, managing my own time, being in control of my own destiny. I really enjoy that. Um, I actually really enjoy client work. I actually enjoy the consulting work, which is something that I think a lot of folks struggle with. Um, they enjoy the freedom, but they don't actually necessarily enjoy managing clients and doing client work. But I actually find that very intellectually stimulating um, and have worked very hard to find the kind of clients that, that um, are doing interesting work and have you know, the right kind of relationships with them to do work that gets me energized and excited and, and so on and so forth. And so um, for me personally, I just, this lifestyle, um, yeah, it works, works really well for me. Um, you know, there's obviously downsides, right? Like you alluded to, um, sometimes you get lonely. Sometimes you get lost. Um, you know, sometimes you have highs and lows. Um, it comes with all kinds of weird financial decisions also. So, you know, talk about vacations, for example. Um, I had a big client project that I was working on, but wanted to take a family holiday for a variety of reasons. And so just pause the client project for a month, you know, you don't normally think about having to like pay five figures um, to, to take a client, to take a holiday to go see your family. Um, but, but those are the kind of decisions that come up when you work for yourself and you're, you're kind of, you know, um, you don't get paid holiday. You just have to take a holiday in between other things. So it, it's, it's a, it's a unique lifestyle, um, but I really enjoy it. Um, yeah. It's given me a lot of freedom and with two kids, um, you know, my, my daughter is almost seven, yeah. my son is three. Um, and, you know, especially living in New York city, having the freedom to be around uh, a lot, while they're young, um, you know, doing bath time and bedtime and all that jazz. Um, I know a lot of a lot of similar um, parents uh, uh, in that position in New York City are very stressed and working long hours, and you know, don't get to see their kids as much. So um, I feel very lucky um, that I'm able to do that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm an outdoor cat as well. I don't think I'll be an indoor cat for for the rest of my life. So, you know, the other thing I I noticed is reading through this this post that's clearly changed. In the, in the last couple of years is the SEO MBA program has really consumed a lot of your bandwidth. And, um, you know, you got a lot of questions about it, but one of the things that you said right away is that you knew there was demand for it. You didn't necessarily have a plan uh, for how you were going to do it, but you recognize that people would want this. What exactly did you notice? What, what was the need you were filling? The impetus for the whole thing came because I was doing a consulting project with um, a big Fortune 500 company, and I was actually helping them. So first of all, I did an SEO strategy for them, which was not a 
kind of here's what you need to do for SEO, but more so actually here's the team that you need to build. Here's the, here's the level of investment you need for SEO as an organization. Um, the, you know, I think it was slide three in that PowerPoint deck was you need to hire a VP of SEO and they're going to have this whole team underneath them. And so, uh, you know, my client, who was the CEO at the time, um, takes it to the board, the board approves the budget. And then he turns around to me and he says, well, we've got to hire the VP of SEO. That's your job now. Go ahead and go and find me a VP of SEO. And so I spent pretty much all of uh, 2020 um, just running back-to-back interviews with senior level um, SEO professionals, right? I, I, like, like a kind of who's who um, of all kinds of folks in the industry. Um, and just really struggled to find people that had the executive level Kind of demeanor and skill set to interface directly with um, the CEO of the organization, uh, who's a very demanding individual, mm-hmm. and um, you know met lots of folks. That I think knew more than I do about SEO. Um, you know, frankly, like t- tons of very capable um, professionals, um, people who really know SEO in- inside out. But I just didn't feel comfortable putting them in that business level situation. Um, and so that all came to a head when we had somebody we were this close to hiring. And, and I just said, I, I think I found the right candidate, but they're just missing a little bit of that executive presence. And the CEO of my client, he, he said, well, why don't we just hire this person and then you can teach them executive presence. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. And then I was like, wait a second, I could do that. <laughs> um, and so that was really the genesis for the SEO MBA. It was like, oh, I, I could do this, this training program. Um, I've always loved teaching. It's something that I've really enjoyed. And it was something that I missed. You're going back to the eight years on the road. As an independent consultant, um, I don't have colleagues. I don't have staff. Um, I don't have any juniors to coach. And so I've really missed that kind of uh, teaching and mentoring aspect of my work. And so the SEO MBA kind of filled that gap. I was like, oh, this is an idea that could um, you know, be a, a way for me to do teaching and uh, to kind of share my, my knowledge. I'm somewhat uniquely qualified for this, having spent a lot of time doing kind of executive level consulting work, but coming from an SEO background. And I know that there's demand for it because I've just spent 12 months not giving people jobs because they don't have this skill, right? Like it was very, very clear to me that even if they didn't know they needed it, like I knew they needed it, right? People were sat in my position, you know, all across the world, not giving people jobs because they didn't have this skill set. And so that was where I was like, this feels like a thing that I need to teach. Um, and that was a genesis. So I, so I started the newsletter um, and I kind of knew there was demand, but the demand really outstripped what I, what I um, expected, honestly. Um, the newsletter really took off straight away. I started writing all of those kind of free articles. And then I launched the first course, um, the course on executive presence that launched uh, last November. Um, so it's been about a year now, just over a year since the first course came out. I did a second course called The Art of Client Management, um, specifically focused for kind of agency side uh, SEOs uh, that, that launched at the beginning of the summer. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a wild kind of journey. Um, you know, you talk about the, uh, the independent lifestyle. It's interesting that, you know, going from when I, when a hundred percent of my income was consulting, you know, I send 10 or 12 invoices a year and that's like my yearly yeah. revenue. And then suddenly I have just like Stripe notifications kind of pinging in my inbox. It's like somebody bought a course, somebody bought a course. Um, and that's just a very different tempo and rhythm to structure my work in my life around you know I, I feel like i had a very good understanding of what consulting work looks and feels like and now i'm a course creator i guess right you know the seo mba is um somewhere around 50 60 percent of my revenue um these days so it's kind of a big chunk of that but has but has very different cadences to consulting work mm-hmm. that's interesting and it, you know it's you mentioned the two courses I, the executive presence and the art of client management this is okay this is different now there, you're right. There isn't anything out there where uh, there's a lot of online courses about keyword research. There's a lot of online courses about page speed or technical SEO or something like that. These are different skills. It's kind of if I if I could 
you could indulge me, what are the skills you're learning in those two courses and how are they different from each other? What, what are the, I, I, you're, you're becoming an ex executive. You're going to be able to talk to the C-suite. Um, how do, how, how do you teach that? And what sorts of, sounds like a lot of EQ work. Um, how do these two courses differentiate from themselves? Yeah, um, so there is a lot of overlap between the two courses, actually. Um, but the executive presence course, which is kind of the flagship course, is really about interfacing with anyone who is uh, at the executive layer of an organization, whether you're in-house or whether you're on the agency side. Um, not really designed for folks who are working with like mom and pop kind of uh, uh, situations, right? Um, that's kind of less of the the focus. Um, really, kind of like larger organizations where you know being an executive and like you know working cross functionally means something, right? That doesn't really mean mean anything to a to a smaller yeah. organization. But as the organization gets bigger, um, the skills you need are putting a strategy together, right? Presenting that strategy to senior executives cross functionally so they understand what you're trying to do. Uh, building a business case so that you can actually uh, drive your strategy to real business value, whether that's revenue or impact, whatever it might be. Um, and then, you know, we talked specifically about building presentations because that's such a, a big part of kind of influence and getting buy-in. Um, and then finally, working cross-functionally. So working with other teams. You know, I think um, one of the defining characteristics mm -hmm. for SEO is that uh, while there is an SEO function inside organizations, the SEO function typically has almost no ability to be self-sufficient, right? They, they don't have product resources. They, don't have, they often don't have content resources. They don't have marketing resources. So they have to persuade all these other teams to do work for them, right? So your, 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 your whole job, as, as certainly in-house or even agency for a large organization, your whole job is convincing other teams to assign resources to your projects. And that is a, that is a game of influence and persuasion and advocacy and education and so on and so forth. And so that's really the, the, uh, where the course focuses. Um, so that's the, the executive presence course focuses on those skill sets. The art of client management it focuses on a lot of the same skill sets, but specifically looking at it from the agency client relationship. So, um, you know, you're less embedded inside the organization. It's more about understanding the, the client's organization through your point of contact, um, making sure that you're kind of dealing with your point of contact in, in, in useful and interesting ways. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest reframes in the whole course is going from a model of sending deliverables, like sending recommendations, and learning how to work collaboratively with your point of contact, right? So figuring out when to invite them into the process of decision-making, strategy building, business case building, um, and so on, so that you can do, you can have the same outcomes, right? Again, the, the, the goals are the same. You're, start, you're trying to get these cross-functional teams to do work for you, assign resources against your projects, um, but it's doing it in a different context. Um, so that was kind of the, and, and, and you know, again, the reason for the Art of Client Management course was because I just heard that agency SEOs in particular, didn't relate as much to that kind of executive level challenge that in-house folks mm -hmm. deeply relate to, right? So, in, so um, you know, unless you're really in a kind of consultative mindset already, if you work at an agency, you're still in that mindset of like sending deliverables, having a project plan, and so on. You kind of one kind of arm's length removed, um, and you know, advice like go make a friend in finance or when you're presenting to the CEO, like that doesn't resonate with a lot of agency SEOs because they're not often presenting to the CEO and they have no way to go get a friend in finance, right? Um, so that was kind of the, the impetus for having the two courses, um, just having a bit of focus and segmenting my audience into, into useful uh, segments and building a course that resonates with, uh, with the right people. So. Well, it's, it's, it's awesome stuff. I mean, I, it seems like it's coming from somebody who has walked the walk. You, you, you've been in these sorts of conversations and had these struggles before. 
Uh, you you understand you've, you've gotten through them, and you've seen it. And then the other thing is, it, it does seem to appeal to a certain type of an SEO who's aspirational, who wants to get somewhere further in their career. And I I, I mentioned those two things because there's almost an example in this blog post that I mentioned where you say that you kind of without noticing the majority of your work now is P&L first. So you're doing SNL, uh, SEO work and strategy work that is P&L first. That's very interesting. Um, I would argue that that's, you know, that's where the really interesting stuff happens and where you can create the most value uh, before, but before I get too far down, down the road, what, what does it mean that the work is now P&L first? And, and I guess the second part to that question this this is listed under the good parts of your year. So, what did you enjoy about this sort of work? Yeah, um, I love uh, making sure that the work that I'm doing is realistic, and I think that that mm -hmm. means lots of different things. But I think that uh, in essence, it means that the things that you're trying to get the client to do, um, they are actually able to allocate resources against. And I think SEO in particular often falls into this kind of uncanny valley of here's a bunch of recommendations or a bunch of ideas. And the client just has no way of doing it. Like literally no, no, no means or no mechanism for actually allocating resources at that level. Um, and you know, that's true both at the kind of individual recommendation level, but it's also true at the kind of strategy level, right? Um, and so when I say PL first, what I mean by that is creating strategies for, for clients that have an implicit or explicit component, which says, here is your, your budget for the year. Um, and that budget is either right size or wrong size, right? So if, you're, if, if you have a right size budget, we say, hey, we have resources allocated. Where should those resources go? Does it go into you know, uh, content writing, product development, um, hiring an agency, hiring a full-time SEO, et cetera, et cetera, right? Or you say you have a wrong size budget and you say for the, S for the level of ambition and growth targets that you want from SEO, you are not allocating enough budget. And so you need to re-budget, reallocate your, your financial model um, so that you can build a team or uh, hire an agency or produce more content, whatever it is. Um, you know, there's this kind of underlying um, idea that I've already been pushing on, which is that a lot of SEO recommendations come as outcomes or outputs and are not very well connected to inputs, right? So a lot of people are like, well, only if we'd only we could capture this opportunity, or if only we could rank for all these keywords, um, but don't convince organizations or don't um, educate organizations very well that those are directly related to inputs. Like you have to actually ship changes on the product side, or you have to actually produce content, or you have to go and do link building campaigns, whatever it might be. Um, and executives too often look at SEO as kind of a black box, right? You look at the, you focus on the outcomes, like the opportunities, um, but without really understanding that that requires creating 500 pieces of content or you know, hiring more front-end developers or whatever it might be. And so when I talk about doing P&L first work, um, it's really about kind of embracing that ambiguity and embracing that challenge to say, how much money is this business allocating to this channel? And is that correct or not? Um, and I've really enjoyed it, I think, this year specifically because it's been a growth period for me, right? Um, I think if you asked me two years ago, kind of to read a PL and work with a PL, I would have been like, eh, yeah, kind of, sure. I can kind of muddle through. Like I've had some exposure. I know spreadsheets well, and I have a degree in math. Um, if you asked me like a year ago, I would have been like, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable doing that. I've done it once or twice. 
and now if you ask me, I'm like, actually, I'm, I'm pretty fluent. I would say I'm certainly not an expert, um, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, feel very comfortable working in that medium, talking about a P&L with a, with a, a CEO or a founder or, or an executive team. Um, and that just gives me, you know, the, I, to go all the way back to the eight years on the road, right? One of the things that um, keeps you going as an independent consultant is the opportunity to keep learning and keep stretching yourself. Um, so that's kind of the context for, the work that I've been doing, I think there's also the background of the kind of financial crisis <laughs> that we're in, right? The recession, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it's just motivated a lot of clients to suddenly be much more mindful of the PL also. Um, you know, there's just a, a different kind of financial atmosphere now than there was, you know, one or two years ago. No, without question. I, you know, some of the things that are, are really interesting that you're mentioning are like you're, you're, you're talking about conversations that happen in specific rooms, right? You're, you're in, you're in with a C-suite. You're talking about your coursework where you're going to have uh, a presence to talk to a C-suite person. Um, for, for people who are sort of in that middle stage of their career, but they have the aspiration, they want to get there. How do they, what tips or strategies do you have to get in those rooms, to get in those conversations where, where the good stuff happens, where you have a seat at the table um, with, with CMO or with something like somebody who has uh, a lot of, I, I would doubt many SEOs watching this even ever have seen the P&L of a company that they work with. Right. Uh, how do you get how do you get up the food chain where where the decisions really happen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think two big strategies. The first is um, having a having a stance inside an organization. And this happens again, either agency side or in-house having a stance that the work that you're doing is a kind of team player with the rest of the company's strategic priorities. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, like I'll give you an example. Um, uh, I looked at Etsy's quarterly earning reports recently, right, as a kind of proxy for what Etsy cares about, right? And Etsy is, mm-hmm. is uh, you know, SEO is a huge channel for Etsy, right? Organic traffic is a huge channel for, for a company like Etsy. Um, and SEO is not mentioned once in their quarterly earning reports. Instead, Etsy is talking about adding video content to product pages, improving their on-site search, um, expanding into new countries. These are kind of these big strategic priorities of the organization that they're communicating to Wall Street, Obviously, there, there may be slightly different priorities internally, but this is what's in the quarterly earnings report, right? And you can use that as a kind of proxy or, or a case study to say, if I work to Etsy and I'm trying to get SEO things done, I have to make sure that those are relating to the video content that's being produced, uh, the, you know, the video on product pages, the on-site search, and the international expansion, right? And the beautiful thing about SEO is that it's so multifaceted that you can often take whatever you want to do and align it with the company's priorities, right? You're either going to produce a better user experience or grow into new markets or find new ways to make new pages or whatever it might be. Um, There's lots of ways to align with what the company wants to do. But if you talk about SEO as kind of fixing technical debt and platform level optimizations and things like that, it, it, you, you, you sound like somebody who is dragging the organization backwards, right? somebody who is, is, is kind of slowing the organization down, not speeding them up. Um, right. And so, so talk about getting in the room with an executive and, and getting face time with executives, getting executives to uh, trust you and like working with you. It's really important that firstly, you have an awareness of what the company cares about at that strategic level. And then secondly, you're framing your work as supporting those initiatives and feeding into them, right? Um, 
I think that's kind of the biggest stance and kind of kind of change in in working style that will get you that more that kind of seniority bump. Um, but that doesn't necessarily get you in the room, right? Like if you're in the room, that helps you stay in the room. <laughs> but to get in the room, um, you, you know, I think it's also really important just to ask, right? Um, and I think a lot of people in mm-hmm. professional situations forget that um, proactive and deliberate kind of career management can get you pay rises and promotion. And and that sounds it sounds kind of like you're selling out and it sounds like you're playing politics and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, but like, that's, you know, if you're not doing it, somebody else is right. Um, and, and, uh, usually there's somewhere that you can have a friendly face where you can say, Hey, can I just be in the room? Right. So, Hey, I, I gave you this SEO strategy. You give it to your boss and you say, Hey, when you're presenting this up the chain, can I just be there to watch? Right. And, and just, just deliberately asking to kind of get that exposure because I think that, um, there is a difference, right? Once you certain, once you reach those more senior levels of organization, there is a difference in how those meetings are run and how executives think and how they make decisions. That if you've never been in the room, you just don't have a good mental model of, right? It's it's difficult to kind of get your head around or get familiarity with how that works without literally being there. Um, that is part of what I try and do in my course too, right? Like, you know, we, we have um, office hours every week um, as part of the course. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I try and do in that is, is listen very carefully to both how people ask questions, which is kind of what, you know, they kind of come with some kind of question in mind. Um, and you, you kind of answer the question, but you also, I also try and listen very carefully to how they phrase the question and how they kind of structure it as if I'm an executive to kind of be like, listen, I can ask you a question and here are some ways to think about it. But the way that you ask your question demonstrates that you're thinking about this kind of the wrong way, right? Or that there might be a way that you could reframe this in a more business level or strategic minded focus um and so again i you know i'm hoping uh, kind of aspirationally on my side i'd love the course to be a place where you can kind of practice those situations um a little bit too it's interesting it's interesting you mentioned the the office hours because i this may be a off the wall question but you know you are a professor there right you're it's what you're doing you're you're creating curriculum it's one thing to say i like teaching so i'm going to make a course you're you're being a professor um Manage student, managing student concerns, office hours, the newsletter, everything else that you're doing. Uh, this is almost like a totally different profession. How, how do you like the profession of being a professor, having uh, done this for a year and a half? Yeah. Um, professor feels like a very grand term. I don't know if <laughs> teacher maybe that sounds, <laughs> so de-emphasizes that. Um, uh, I love it. I think that it is something that I'm pretty good at. Um, and, you know, so I think back to when I worked at my brother's company, Distilled, uh, you know, some of the most rewarding things I've done in my career have been building that 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 team that I hired in the New York office, and then and then watching those people grow and evolve, giving them an environment and supporting them as they evolved and grew, um, and watching what they've gone on to do since. Um, I'm not trying to take all the credit for it, but providing an environment and providing a situation where they can grow and they can learn and they can adapt. Um, I've always enjoyed that, and I, I think there's a there's a uh, I'm uh, you know. I think it's one of my skill sets um, in terms of kind of breaking things down and explaining them well, um, giving people the space to kind of reach their own conclusions. Um, you know, just not just like forcing my style on other people. Um, and so I've always enjoyed it. Um, and building the SEO MBA has, has has just kind of deepened that and furthered that. I've really enjoyed. You know, the office hours is kind of the favorite part of my week. Um, it's like I get to talk to folks from all over the world. I had you know the last one that we did um, a couple of days ago. We had folks from Australia. Um, we had folks from 
Texas. We had folks from the Netherlands. Um, you know, you have people from all over the world joining in and dialing in all kinds of different issues. Um, and you get a chance to have a small group to just talk about them, right? Give, offer reflections. Um, sometimes it's as simple as offering support also, or like sharing successes, right? Having a, meet, a format to say, hey, good job. That sounds like you did that really well. <laughs> um, uh, you know, that's also important. Um, so so I, I really enjoy it. Um, you know, I think um, the, the core SEO MBA courses are self-paced. So they're kind of pre-recorded videos. And so the office hours is the only live component there is right now, but I'm actively thinking about how to shake that up a little bit and maybe do a little bit more live instruction as well, because I do, I really enjoy that energy that comes in the room uh, through kind of teaching. Outstanding. And you you mentioned something earlier that I I have to circle back to. So, um, and you mentioned in this post too, that that you're, you know, the SEO MBA program is, is, uh, is successful. It's growing, but it's been draining. Uh, You say that you weren't going to go full gas on, on the courses in the next year in favor of more client work. So almost unbelievably, you say you derive energy from the client work. You said that on this broadcast that you like to do uh, to to interface with clients. And this seems counterintuitive to me. (laughs) I thought you made the you made the course to step back from uh, to step back from all the client work, put your feet up a little bit and not to have to worry about the next deadline and the next sale and the next client meeting. But you enjoy this client work, and it, it, in the post you say it actually impacted your overall happiness. To do less of it. I almost want to ask, what's wrong with you? But what, what, <laughs> what is it about this client work that you enjoy so much? Well, yeah, and everyone has the same reaction that you have, which is um, everyone thinks that I launched the, the SEO MBA as a way to to scale back the client work, right? Um, and and to you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote, build passive income or scalable revenue, all that kind of stuff. That was that I had zero intention of doing any of those. There was zero intention of my motivation uh, to do that. And I, I love doing client work. I love doing consulting work. Honestly, I am a weirdo in that sense. I, I think that is pretty unusual. Um, and I, I think it's also a function of how much deliberate effort I put in to find interesting and intellectually satisfying client work. You know, that has not that has not yeah. happened overnight. Right. Um, I, well, I remember when so my last full time job was at Google um, back in 2012 and uh, sorry, 2014 was when I left. Um, and uh, when I quit Google, I was like, great, I'm going to go and do brand strategy and digital innovation work because that was the kind of work that I was doing at Google. Um, and of course, nobody knew me for that work and I had no reputation in the market. And I was also still kind of young and naive. And uh, so the first clients I got when I when I quit Google were SEO clients, I, I, people would be like, Hey, Oh, Tom, yeah, I know you from the SEO world, you do some SEO consulting. And it was absolutely demoralizing to be like, Oh, I'm stepping back into this, this identity that I thought I left behind. And, and it, it's been eight years, it's been eight years of deliberately trying to expand the work that I do into more interesting and intellectually satisfying work. Um, not that SEO work isn't, isn't those things, but for me personally, I just, there are, there are, there are more interesting ways to look at it, right? We talked about the PNL first uh, work and so on, right? So um, I, just did a, I just did a project um, just at the end of last year, which was directly SEO focused. But it, the question was, how much should we allocate to SEO next year on our PNL? Right. So nothing about like, what are we actually going to do from an SEO perspective? Although you have to kind of think about that um, to work backwards the PNL. Um, but that was a consulting project and it was great. I really enjoyed it. So I'm still, I'm still SEO adjacent, if you like. I'm still, I'm not kind of, I haven't abandoned SEO um, as work, but for my own personal consulting work, I, I, I want to make sure that's intellectually satisfying and interesting to me. And so, and, and that's been a journey, right? So 
the SEO MBA has been fascinating for two reasons. One, it's very much pulled me back into that kind of pure SEO world, um, which isn't a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. but, but has been a world that I've been trying to um, kind of broaden out of for a while. Um, and the second thing is just, you know, I had found a really great rhythm of doing consulting work. So when you have clients come, you have busy periods, and you have quiet periods. I'd done it for long enough that I could trust that when the quiet periods came, I can use that as downtime. I can do my blogging. I can work out. I, I can go bike riding in the afternoon or, or whatever it might be, take a vacation. Um, and I can trust that there's enough client work coming down the pipe that it's all going to work out. And I, I found a good cadence and rhythm for that. With the SEO MBA, I suddenly have this thing which is always on, right? Like the flip side of passive revenue is that it's mm -hmm. never actually truly passive, right? And, and there's always more to be done, right? So I can build some email funnels to sell a course better. I can do some manual outreach to sell some agency plans. I can update the website with more content and do some, God forbid, SEO on the SEO MBA. Um, there's like all, I could do some more social tweeting. I, like there's always more to be done for the SEO MBA. Um, and that has been more anxiety inducing and stressful than I thought it was going to be right the, the, and, and I think that it, mm -hmm. I don't think it's a problem in the grand scheme of things but I think there's a transition period right much like when I first started consulting consulting felt very anxious and stressful and I didn't know where my next paycheck was coming from I think much like being a kind of course creator or uh, uh, whatever you want to call it um it just, will just require a transition period. I think I'm finding my feet, right? I think I'm getting getting a hang of it, but it, it, that was more destabilizing than I realized. Um, it's been a really interesting journey to look back on it and be, it's been incredibly rewarding. Um, it's been pretty successful. Um, and I'm, I feel very grateful for all of those things. Um, I really love running the SEO MBA, but it has also been this kind of, it's been a little bit more stressful and especially juggling that with client work, right? You know, I think client work is, um, you know, having clients, expecting things from you is almost all almost always trumps any other priority right it's kind of it's very it's very easy to live a life where you say client work is going to be the the primary thing that, that is driving my deadlines and everything else is secondary that's a lot easier to manage mm -hmm. than i have client works that i'm beholden to but i also have this project that i'm trying to build those two things are very much intention right um you know self-directed deadlines and client deadlines kind of mashing against each other is 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 hard um and so I think, you know, I think the this is a long-winded ramble. To, if I could kind of encapsulate it as I think um, for anyone who, who is carving their own path, doing their own thing, don't, don't underestimate the challenges of trying to have two competing priorities, right? I think a lot of people are looking at consulting as a way to feed the startup they're trying to do or, or you know, whatever. And um, I, I just, yeah, I think you should be cognizant of how hard that can be. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I really enjoy... Um everything you've written about this topic and about indie consulting in particular, the last thing on this front though, I, I've been following a lot of talented people who are, who are losing their jobs. You know, it's, it's a, this is a tough time. It's you log into LinkedIn. It's like another person every day yep. is, is looking for a new gig. So um, you, unless I'm mistaken, it sounds like you entered this independent consulting thing voluntarily. I didn't I, for me uh, in 2009, the company I worked for went belly up. Uh, all of us lost our job. And this was a, this was one of the luckiest things that ever happened to me. And so I wonder if this might be a period of time where a lot of talented people will turn to that independent consulting approach that you did. And when they do that, I, I, I wonder if you just have some rules of the rules of the road, some, some, some advice you have for transitioning from in from agency life or in-house work to independent consulting. What, what are the kind of the first year, like first six months, like uh, for these folks who might be making that transition? Yeah. Um, 
funnily enough, I have a whole blog post um, on this topic with kind of laying out year, year one, year two, year three, and so on um, through these kind of phases of independent consulting, um, which, which you know, we can put in the show notes. I think that um, I think there's there's really two ideas that should propel you through the first year, and that is uh, pay the bills no matter what kind of work it is, right? So so going back to my own story, right? I, I had a lot of angst about the fact that I was doing SEO consulting and wanted to be doing a different kind of work in my first year. Um, and the good news is that when you work for yourself, you can, you can evolve and adapt much more fluidly, right? Than having to quit a job and start a new job, right? When you work for yourself, it's a much more organic and iterative process. Every new client is an opportunity to push it slightly differently, sell it slightly differently, go a little bit more senior, do different kind of work. So don't be so hung up that the kind of work you're doing now is not the kind of work you want to be doing forever because you're not stuck in a particular box, right? That box is going to evolve and adapt much more fluidly than you might think, right? So, um, uh, the flip side of that is be comfortable just paying the bills, right? <laughs> just like step one is can you can you can you replace your income that you had as a full time role with client work, right? And if you can do that, then that's kind of your first baseline. That's your kind of first like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And then from there you can start to adapt and grow. Um, and doing that in again in the early days is a is a very kind of manual process of activating your network, building and activating your network. Right. So, um, again, I think a, a lot of anxiety for people who work for themselves is about, oh, I got to do marketing, right? I have to build a website and I have to do blog posts and I have to do all of this stuff. And, um, I mean, yeah, you do, right. That stuff all kind of works, which is why people tell you to do it. Um, but it doesn't have to be this grandiose thing, right? Again, in the early days, it can be much more scrappy and much more iterative and much looser than it can be as you go further on and as you really want to scale it out. Um, you know, and a great example of this is to recognize that you're not doing quote unquote marketing to get clients directly, right? Everyone has some notion of a network. You're doing marketing and you're doing content and you're being visible to activate the people that already know you, right? So, so your primary objective when you first start out is to give everyone around you, all of the people that are kind of rooting for you already, that you like ex-colleagues and friends and um, people you've worked with in the industry and so on and so forth, people you met on Twitter, all of these people that kind of already know you, you've got to give them a really good, solid understanding of the kind of work that you want to do, right? So that they can make an intro for you, right? Most of your work is going to come through your network, not through, you know, producing a piece of content and some client stumbling upon it. But you're going to produce a piece of content. Someone that knows you is going to like the piece of content, read it, and then they're going to share it with a client or they're going to, they're going to have a client come to them and they're going to pass it on to you because you're top of mind and, and so on. So, um, you know, a great, uh, again, to kind of make it uh, concrete and tangible. In my own writing, I write a lot about independent consulting. In those blog posts, they have these little vignettes, right? They have these little, like, this one time I was doing a consulting engagement when I was doing A, B, and C. Um, and... You know, what that does for the reader is it means the reader has a really good understanding of the kind of clients I'm a good fit for and the kind of clients I'm a bad fit for, right? So again, I'm deliberately trying to make it so that the people that are writing my blog posts, uh, so, so the people who are reading my blog posts, who are mostly people that already know me, right, on my email newsletter or on social, um, those people have a really good understanding of how to make a good introduction, right? So when a client comes across their plate, they send me the work, right? Um, again, great example of this is uh, the client that I just worked with at the end of last year um, came to a friend of mine, Jono, um, who used to work at Distilled um, and was working at Yoast. Um, he sent me an intro for this client 
because he was like, I've been reading your blog and I understand that you're doing PL forward work. And this is that project, right? And and that's just a great example of how the, the content and the marketing machine doesn't necessarily generate the clients directly, right? But it's about activating your network. Um, and so the consequence of that, and, and then I'll shut up on this point, um, the consequence of that is be free to write what you want to write. Make content that's interesting and engaging. Don't try and write something that you think you're supposed to write. Write something that the people that know you want to read, right? Write something that you can send to people that you know and be like, I think this is interesting to you, not to some abstract client or some abstract other person on the internet. Write it for the people that know you and make something interesting and try and write it with a with a that kind of freedom and looseness um, that gets people excited um, and then good things will happen. That's outstanding. Well, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Fiercely Curious. Uh, as, I, as I understand it, it has nothing to do with digital marketing. Um, what, what is Fiercely Curious and, and how, how are you involved? Yeah, Fiercely Curious. So this was actually the kind of thing that actually got me to, to quit Google in a, in a weird kind of way. Um, so it's a business that I run with my partner. Um, she has a background in um, uh, fashion design and in art. And she knows a lot of artists. She um, you know, has a degree in fine arts. And um, we had this idea to build uh, an online curated kind of um, collective of Brooklyn-based artists. So it's a, it's a website. We don't have a physical presence. But it's local in the sense that it's only focused on Brooklyn, which is where we live. Um, and, you know, it has been a little bit um, on the back burner, I think, over the past few years, like having kids in a pandemic and so on and so forth. Has, 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 um, you know, we haven't put a lot of time and energy into it. But certainly before the pandemic, um, we used to do these kind of big pop up art shows uh, around Brooklyn. We'd get like an abandoned warehouse space and um, throw an art gallery um, in there for like a week. Um, so it, it's been a really um, interesting project it's been very um creatively rewarding um and, and we're keen to kind of start picking it back up again now that um the pandemic is maybe kind of <laughs> not over but in a new phase um and yeah. uh, now the kids are getting a little bit older so um it's something that we're, we're kind of actively thinking about how to kind of reinvent for a second a second act um but it's been it's been great and you know i think the to come back to kind of connect that to connect the dots a little bit to what i was just talking about firstly curious has been an incredible way to meet a new kind of network, right? Um, to, to be involved, to be embedded and involved in the kind of art scene in Brooklyn in a way that would have been hard to do without being an actual part of it. Um, so Physically Curious has been great. It's been, yeah, met some, met some amazing kind of lifelong friends through it. Um, we have art on the walls because of it. Um, you know, it's been, it's been really rewarding. Um, and uh, yeah, yes, yeah, so stay tuned, I guess, for, for Act Two. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, Tom, I, I do a lot of these shows. I try and read everything I can from everybody who's on here. Your writing is like some of the best I've read. I, I, I find it really, the way your brain works is really interesting. And I'm going to make sure to link to many of the articles that we mentioned here today uh, so people can, can read them as well. But if people want to connect with you or learn more about what you have going on or SUMBA, what, what's your favorite social media? How do people connect with you? Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. That's kind of uh, until Twitter <laughs> it goes up in flames. Um, at Tom Critchlow on Twitter, that's the best way to get in touch with me. DMs are open. Um, and then TomCritchlow.com is where I do a lot of my writing. And uh, obviously, SEOMBA.com uh, for the courses and such. So, yeah, those are the primary channels. But yeah, I'm pretty open, available. Um, my email's there. My DMs are open. So, yeah, reach out. All right. Well, I've enjoyed the conversation. Until I, I see you again, Tom, I'll give you a virtual cheers. For everybody listening, we'll be back next week with another episode of Sus and Search. Thanks, Tom. Cheers. Thanks for having me on.